0: Welcome to On The Way, this is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is April 21st, and our passage for today is 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings 18, 19, and 20 are phenomenal chapters in the Word of God. I understand that all the Bible is the Word of God, but there are some parts that are really just more relevant and are more exciting to read and really explain the great story of God. It says in verse 1, It came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Ella, king of Israel, that's the northern kingdom, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Now this is the background, the backstory, because we have skipped now several chapters to get to this critical chapter when it is described that the northern kingdom called Israel that broke away under Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, in 931 B.C., is now coming to a close. Yes, just a little over 200 years, and now the kingdom has ended. 200 years is not a long time as far as time is concerned in the Word of God. And so this was a short-lived kingdom. It had started wrong. It had forsaken the God of the Bible. And you'll recall Jeroboam, son of Nebat, built two different worship centers, one in the northernmost part of Israel called Dan, and then in Bethel, which was down close to Jerusalem, and God revealed the heart of Jeroboam that he did this so that the people would not return to the true and living God and the dynasty of David. They would not go back to Jerusalem three times a year, so he set up his own worship centers, rivals to the temple. He set up his own priesthood, his own holy moed, his special appointed days, and in every way set up a false worship system. And so the kingdom started bad to begin with. And so God did not let it last long, even though he loved those people. He cared for those people. They worshipped idols and offered on every high hill, the Bible says. And so it only lasted 200 years, and God sent the Assyrians, one of the great powers of the ancient world, and they completely decimated the capital of Samaria and carried the people off. That was the methodology of capture by the Assyrians. Unlike the Babylonians, who took everyone lock, stock, and barrel back to the land between the rivers, Mesopotamia, the strategy of the Assyrians was to come in, bring in peoples from other places they'd captured, mingle the people, take out 90%, leave only 10%, hence decimating them. So, therefore, no one knew each other. There were not long family lines, there were different languages. And so, it would take years and years, decades, to get people organized in order to rebel. And this was the strategy of the Assyrians. Unlike the Babylonians and certainly unlike the Persians, which we'll read about in Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And so the kingdom fell, and the Bible says that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby. Abiah was her name, but they called her short Abby, just like we call Abby, someone who usually is named Abigail or something of that sort. And so Abby was the daughter of Zachariah. Zechariah. He, that is Hezekiah, did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Isn't it amazing that God measured good or bad kings according to King David, whether they walked in the ways of their father David? It is equally amazing that when we study leadership in our great schools of leadership across America, that David's life is rarely studied. Why? Because we center in on his shortfall instead of the great leader that he was. Unlike God, who centers in on the great leader that he was and de-emphasizes his shortfall, Western civilization, and especially Western Christianity, has lost its sense of red- Redemption, And so what we do is we kill our wounded. If you mess up in the church of Jesus, an evangelical church, if for some reason you cross a boundary line, you can cross all kinds of boundary lines, but there are certain boundary lines that we don't tolerate. So therefore, you're out, and you're out quickly. There is no redemption. It's so unlike the early New Testament church. It is so unlike the heart of God, God's church, the true church is a redeeming church, one who looks for ways to redeem, not to punish. But that's not like us. We want to protect ourselves and make sure we're not associated with someone who is a leper. God help us. We are in a bad and horrible shape. And so it says of Hezekiah that he removed the high places and he broke the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. You remember the story of the snakes biting the people, the vipers biting the people. God said, Put a serpent on a cross pole and put it up high enough for the people to see it. And when they look and see the serpent, if they will look and believe and trust, they will be saved. They'll look and they'll live. Jesus brought this up to Nicodemus and said, So as the serpent was raised up in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And if he be lifted up, up, he will draw all men to himself. Now, if you can believe this, this is hundreds of years, hundreds of years after that time in the wilderness, and they still have this brass snake, and Hezekiah realized it was being used as an idol, as a thing of worship, and he broke it into pieces and called it Nehushtan, or that bronze thing, or that serpent, that snake of a thing that had become an Idolatrous thing. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah. Now you say, but wait just a minute, he was a sinner. Isn't it amazing God uses sinners? You see, those who are the elite in our evangelical churches, those who are in leadership in our evangelical churches have some kind of a king complex like they are something perfect and never sin whatsoever. Again, God have mercy on us because the reality is Hezekiah messed up, David messed up, and they messed up royally. Why? Because they were in a position of royalty. And so when you mess up and Everybody sees it, there is a great tendency to, for everybody to distance themselves because we don 't want to be tainted by that same sin, and we don 't want to be tainted by association. I tell you what Jesus did. he went out and sought the leper he embraced the leper, and the reason was he came to love to heal, redeem. The church of Jesus sometimes is more interested in its own self and welfare than it is those that are a part of the body. That's for another day. For he held fast to the Lord. In other words, he was cleaving to God and did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments. This is as a way of life. Not that he didn't sin, but as a way of life he didn't sin. That was not his habit, which the Lord had commanded Moses. He kept those commandments as a way of life. And the Lord was with him. He prospered him wherever he went. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. And he had subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and his territory from the watchtower to the fortified city. It's amazing. Still today I can take you to Beersheba in the Negev and show you the great fortifications that Hezekiah built even there that are still with us some 27, 28 hundred years later. They are there as the day that he built them almost three thousand years ago. Now it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea the son of Ella, king of Israel, that shalmaneser king of Assyria, came up against Samaria, besieged it, and at the end of three years he took it in the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is, the ninth year of Hoshea, King of Israel, Samaria was taken. In other words, the northern capital fell. Then the king of Assyria carried Israel away captive to Assyria and put them in Halah. ...by the harbor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed His covenant. And all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded, they would neither hear nor do them. And so in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Then Hezekiah, the king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish is where he was. He said, I've done wrong. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. And he went on and tried to appease this king. It didn't work. He even scraped the gold off of the doors of the temple, and it didn't work. It wasn't enough. Then the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rapsaris, and the Rabshaka. Now, these were not men's names, but positions. That was the commander-in-chief, the chief officer, and the governor, and uh, sent them up to Hezekiah, up to Jerusalem. When they had come up, they went and stood by the aqueduct of the upper pool, which was on the highway to the Fuller's Field. Now, remember, the Bible is a Jewish book written by Jews, two Jews, primarily for Jews, and every Bible writer from Moses to John assumed that the people to whom they were writing understood the language, the history, the geography, the cultural context of the day. And that's what we're reading about. We don't know where all of that was, but everyone that Was reading this, did. And when he had called to the king, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, that is the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to them. Then the Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this in which you trust? You speak of having plans and power of war. But they are mere words. That's just lip service. In whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Now look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which if a man leads, it will go into his hand. In other words, it's going to break off and stab him in the hand. This Pharaoh king of Egypt that you're trusting in. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God is not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away. See, they knew nothing about the true and the living God and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Now, therefore, I urge you give a pledge to my master, the king of Syria, and I will give you 2000 horses. If you are able on your part to put riders on them. In other words, I'll give you some horses and I'll give you some chariots and you don't even have enough people that are of fighting age to even sit on these. And so he was just mocking Hezekiah and the true and living God. How then will you repel one captain of uh, the least of my master servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord is the one who sent me. The Lord is Is the one who said to me, "Go up against this land and destroy it." Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joah said to the Robshaka, "Please speak to your servants in Aramaic; that is their language, for we understand it. They were multilingual, and do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall." In other words, he said, "Quit speaking in Hebrew; you're scaring the people." And the Rabshaka said to them, Has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words, and not to the men who sit on the wall who will eat and drink their own waste with you? So he said, You're going to try to stop me from talking to these people I want them to hear. They're going to be eating their own dung. They're going to be drinking their own urine. And he goes on to say that specifically. And he said, Who do you think God is? He's not big enough to uh, stop my master." And so the scripture says that it came about that when all of this was said, that the people held their peace, verse 36, and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was do not answer him. And so all of a sudden they began to tear their clothes. Now here's the situation. Tomorrow we're going to look at chapter 19 and see who has the final say, because it's not Sinecharib. It is not Shalmaneser. It is not any Assyrian king. It is God Almighty. Because God always has the last say, and we will see in the next chapter that Hezekiah does exactly what he should have done to begin with, and that is fall on his face before God and beg for God's deliverance and God's mercy. Why does it always have to come to this, to where we are at the end of our rope before we turn to God? Why don't we turn to God to begin with? This is the pattern of humanity, and the things that were written aforetime about the Jews were written for our learning and our admonition according to Romans 15 and verse 4. And so we need to take instruction from this. What had happened? The people that had come down from the northern kingdom, they knew that they were going to be destroyed, and so they fled. All of those who could, they fled to the south. So many came from the other ten tribes down to Jerusalem. They occupied the western hill. For those of you who have been in Israel with me, you know that is where all of the area of Herodotus the Great's Palace was, and and the area where Jesus would have had the Last Supper, that western hill. And you'll recall what is in the Jewish quarter today as you come in the gate at Mount Zion. All of that area is where the broad wall of Hezekiah was built. Hezekiah knew that Assyrians were coming, and so he expanded almost double the size of Jerusalem, probably did double it or better. And he had to enclose the city very quickly and he built a broad wall, and and it was just a it was a huge a rock wall barrier. But it wasn't pretty to look at, and the remains of it are still there today. Much of it can be seen in the Jewish Quarter today, as they've uncovered this. The Bible talks about that, and we'll try to get into it a little bit later. But I want you to understand that it was not just Judah, because many of the people from the north of the ten tribes had come into the. City, Hezekiah had taken in those who fled from the north, and he had expanded the city wall to protect them. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because there were representatives from all of those tribes that fled to Judah and were taken away in the captivity. There were no lost 10 tribes. The vast majority of the 10 tribes were taken into captivity, but people from every tribe came south. We know that. They are still scattered throughout the earth today. How do you know that, Pastor? Because of the book of Revelation says that 144,000, 12,000 from every tribe save Dan is mentioned. And when God does something, He does it forever. You will not want to miss tomorrow's podcast of 2 Kings chapter 19 and God's miraculous delivery of praying Hezekiah. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies.